All right, while those are going back, I want to take a second and I want to welcome everyone to Grace Community Church. And not only that, I would like to welcome everyone to this new study that we are beginning today in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to the beginning of the book of Acts, the very beginning of Acts chapter one. And we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to pray together. We're going to ask for God to draw near and speak to us today by the power of his Holy Spirit. So I'm about to pray and I'd ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we tell you today as your church, Lord, we come with worship. Lord, in our hearts and on our lips. And we desire to worship you, Lord, because we love you. Because of who you are and what you've done. And Jesus, we tell you this day that there is none like you, Lord. That you have the name that is above every name. And you alone have washed us from our sins in your own blood. Lord, we love you. And we gather together today clean and righteous in your presence as your church. Just a small part of your church, your body scattered across this world. God, we ask you to draw near to us today. As your family, as your children. God, our desire is to hear from you and to be encouraged in the gospel today, Lord. And we know, God, that this is impossible unless you help us. Your word tells us that unless you build the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so we ask you, King Jesus, this day that you would build the house, that you would build your church, that you would build us up, God, as we give attention to your word. Come draw near to us today. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters all across this room. God, I ask you to encourage us. Encourage us, Lord. Give us a meal, God, as we walk through um, this world on our way to see you face to face. Give us real spiritual nourishment. And we long to see you, Lord Jesus. And we ask you today that you would pull back the veil and that you would give us a glimpse of your glory. And your exalted nature and your power. Jesus, I pray that as a local church that you would give us a glimpse of your reign today in our midst. Help us to rise up and worship you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Today we begin a new series in the book of Acts. And what I want to do as we work our way into this book is I want to, I want to give us some context to bring into uh, the book of Acts. I think that's going to really help us to read this book well and to study this book well. Ultimately to apply this book well. That, that God would use this book as we come through the book of Acts as a local church. That he would be pleased to use this book. To make us more like Jesus. And so what I want to do as we, we're going to give an, an overview of Acts, an introduction of Acts. And we're going to get just a little bit into Acts chapter 1 this morning. And what, what, what my aim is, as we gather together today, is to kind of set the tone for this entire series. And this is kind of a banner that we want to hang over this entire study that we would see these exalted realities, these exalted themes that are hanging over the book of Acts. And that and that as we dive in passage after passage, we're reminded of these beautiful, exalted realities that are being presented to us over and over in the book of Acts. And at the highest place, those exalted realities is we're going to give attention week in and week out to glimpses of King Jesus reigning from his throne through his spirit over his church. And so we're going to talk about that today. 
These exalted themes, and I, and I think they're going to help us as we lean into the book of Acts. And I do want to warn us as a local church, not, not really a warning, but I'm telling you on the front end, okay, that these themes are powerful. These are powerful swords in the hand of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is that as we get our gaze fixed on the exalted things in Scripture, be warned. This has the way this has a way of encouraging human hearts. Okay, these things about Jesus Christ and his throne and his reign and his spirit. They have the potential in a moment of time. The Holy Spirit can give you just one glimpse of King Jesus and it can reorient your entire life forever, forever. And that's what we want to give attention to this morning. We want to see these exalted things in the word of God coming down and, and, and they're all playing together as we enter into the book of Acts. And what we want to do as a local church is that we want our lives to line up with these exalted things, with, with really the only things that matter in this world. And that's our aim as we enter into this book. And what we're going to do this morning is Luke gives us an introduction that introduces us to these exalted themes. First five verses of chapter one. That's what we're going to read this morning. And we're going to use Luke's own introduction, the Holy Spirit's own introduction to this book to drive us into the study of this book and how we should think about it. So if you have your Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter one. We're going to read the first five verses together. Acts chapter 1, first five verses. It's the Word of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. It's the word of God to Grace Community Church this morning. All right, let's. Let's start with just, just some introductory details to this book. Okay, and we'll start with the author of this book. Almost certainly, and there's wide agreement all throughout church history, that the author of this book is a man named Luke. And we know from the New Testament two things about him. We know that he was a physician, a doctor. And we know that he was a traveling companion to the Apostle Paul in Paul's missionary journeys. And we're going to see that, that, that this, whoever's writing this book, this is Luke, almost certainly. At times in this book, he's going to use first person plural. And he's going to say, when Paul did something, he's going to say, we did something. Okay. And at other times in this book, he, he, he's not going to be side by side with the Apostle Paul. So the author of this book is Luke, the physician. And he's traveling side by side with Paul in some of his journeys, in some of his missionary journeys. Now... As we read these first few verses of the book of Acts, um, we're, we're not even a few words in until we realize that something precedes this book. Okay, And, and what I mean with that, by that is that he, he tells us in the first verse that there was a previous work, that there was a before book. And so the book of Acts, in a real sense, is a sequel. Okay, It's part two. Um, and, and there's a part one that comes before it. And luckily for us, praise to the living God, we know what part one was. Part one is the gospel of Luke. And so this is what we have before us this morning. We have the gospel of Luke, volume one. And we have the Acts of the Apostles, volume two. 
And then, and then we, we notice some, some really big similarities between these two books. Number one, they're written by the same author. And then number two, they're written to the same person. Okay, In the introduction to Luke's gospel and in the introduction to Acts, we have reference to this man named Theophilus. Okay, Theophilus. In Luke's introduction, it calls him this, most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. That is a title that's used at other times in the book of Acts to, to, to designate um, government authorities in the Roman Empire. And almost certainly, that's who this man is. Maybe he is a seeker um, in the sense of maybe this man is interested in the Christian gospel. Or maybe he's a new convert. We, we don't know much about his background, but we know he's a man in a prominent position in the Roman Empire. And Luke writes him a two-volume work to show him, to, to, to bring clarity to this man and his wider audience of who Jesus was. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus teach? This is volume one. And in volume two, he transitions to a different question and he begins to unpack where did Jesus's church come from? This 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 Christian church is is spreading like wildfire across the Roman Empire. And the book of Acts shows us the origins of Christianity. And in a lot of ways, this is our history. OK, this is our history. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ that are receiving the gospel over and over again. As we walk through the book of Acts. And so we have two volumes and the book of Acts is zoning in on the historical origins of the church of Jesus. And then look at that first sentence in Acts chapter one. In that opening paragraph in that first sentence, what he does is he gives us a gaze backwards to something that happened before. And then later in that same paragraph, he gives us a gaze forward to something that's on the verge of fulfillment, something that's about to happen. And that's going to be our framework this morning of how we think about the book of Acts. Something has happened before, a gaze back, and something is on the verge of fulfillment, and that's the gaze forward. So let's start this morning. Let's start with that look back. Okay. And here's the look back. I wrote to you before about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That's a reference to Luke's gospel. And that tells us what Luke's gospel is about. What is the gospel of Luke about? It's about Jesus. Specifically, it's about what Jesus began to do and teach. His, his deed ministry, the, the, the works of Jesus Christ, the deeds of Jesus Christ. But also his teaching ministry and the words of Jesus Christ. And we see that in Luke's gospel. We see Jesus preach the kingdom of God. We see him teach about the kingdom of God. That's the redemptive reign of Jesus Christ. We also see Jesus demonstrate the kingdom of God in Luke's gospel. Demonstrate the redemptive reign of Jesus Christ. And we see this in miracles that Jesus does. And signs that Jesus gives. We see this in Jesus driving out demons. All of those things are demonstrations. They're the deed ministry of Christ. And so Luke's already written about that. He's, get, he's given us a gaze backwards to all that Jesus began to do and teach. And Luke's gospel climaxes, and we see this in the last few chapters, in the death and the resurrection of King Jesus. King Jesus. So all the word ministry and all the deed ministry, all that Jesus began to do and teach is culminating in, in this holy moment where Jesus dies for the sins of his people and is raised victoriously from the dead. And this is the demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. You cannot kill this king. He just raises himself from the dead and his death and resurrection become the entrance um, through which we enter the kingdom of God and the redemptive reign 
of Jesus Christ. And so this is the look back. There's a look back. And more specifically in Acts chapter 1, he zones in on something very specific backwards. And so more than anything else, as he gazes back on the earthly life of the Lord Jesus, he focuses our attention in Acts chapter 1 on, on what you could call the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. The post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. The Bible tells us that there were 40 days after the Son of God was raised from the dead. That over a period of 40 days, he continuously kept appearing to this group of disciples. Okay? And Acts tells us that he's appearing and he's giving convincing proofs to them. That I am alive. I have been raised from the dead. So I want you to think about that. Convincing proofs. We're talking about convincing proofs. We're not talking about somebody having a bad dream. Or you know, taking some weird potion and seeing some, some weird things. And they think they see Jesus. We're talking about him coming and sitting down and eating meals. Convincing proof. Proof so convincing. That the gospel narratives and the book of Acts tell us that these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ take skeptics and turn them into martyrs for Christ. Those who are skeptical about what they're seeing about Jesus, fast forward a few decades and they're giving it all to testify that this is the Christ of God and he in fact lives and he in fact has been raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God. So these are powerful. And the book of Acts would drive our minds and drive our attention to these post-resurrection appearances and the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. So another thing that Acts chapter 1, so zones in on the, on the words and deeds of Christ, zones in on the specific 40-day period, and then it zones in again that there's something specific, something special that God wants to show us that that post-resurrection ministry of Jesus zones in specifically on 12 men, 12 men. Really 11, the 12th will be replaced just, just in a few paragraphs in the book of Acts. But it says that in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus is talking to and appearing to the apostles whom Jesus has chosen. Whom Jesus has chosen. Jesus had many disciples in his earthly ministry that were not the apostles whom Jesus had chosen. These are unique men. So I want to zone in on them for a second. And this is as good a time as any. For us as Grace Community Church. I want to give you a grid that's going to really help us. As we come through the book of Acts. Okay. And, and one of those grids is going to be us understanding the importance of the uniqueness of an apostle. Okay. So in a very real sense, the book of Acts is tracing the works of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Not exclusively, but mainly. Okay. And what that means is that there's some things that we're going to read in the book of Acts that are unique to the book of Acts because they're unique to the apostles. And so I want us to have this, this grid, this twofold grid for reading this book. Okay. As we're reading through, everything in here is not supposed to repeat itself. Okay, that's an error. Okay, and I want to warn us about it on the front end. I think the clearest way for us to see that is to see how unique the ministry of the apostles are. Okay, so as much as we love Jesus Christ, all right, amen, as much as the third person of the Trinity Dwells in us. The Holy Spirit. Amen. There is nobody at Grace Community Church. That has seen Jesus Christ. There is none among us. 
That, that, that is an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord in the way that these men were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord. Now, don't hear me wrongly. Okay? All over this room, my prayer is that some of you saw Jesus this morning as you read the scriptures. That you were encouraged by Jesus this morning as you draw near to him in prayer. But that's a very different thing than somebody raising their hand in the back of the room and said, I ate breakfast with him a couple of months ago. I saw the resurrected Christ eat fish. I heard him teach about the kingdom of God. I can show you where I saw him do miracles and raise the dead. There's some uniqueness about these men who are called apostles. They are given a very unique role in redemptive history. And something very important for us to understand is that after these apostles die, nobody replaces them. Okay? And I want that to be so clear to you. There is a sense, listen to me, you know, for a second. There is a sense in which every Christian is an apostle. In the sense that every Christian has been sent on mission for Jesus Christ, sent to proclaim Christ and be a witness for Christ. And that's essentially what the word apostle communicates is a sent one. So in a broad sense, in a generic sense, there is a sense in which that word applies to every Christian. But in Acts 1, we're talking about an office. Okay? We're talking about an office. And we're going to see that in just a few paragraphs later in Acts chapter 1. This is an authoritative office at this point in church history. And in that narrow sense, after the last apostle dies, no one replaces them. This is not an office that is passed down over and over in church history. That's one of the heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. That the Pope, the Pope, the Bishop of Rome is the direct you know, successor of the apostles. That's it. The word of God never teaches that. In fact, in fact, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, tells us that he was the last apostle. This is verbatim in the word of God. He's talking about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to all the apostles. And listen to the words of Paul. Last of all the apostles, he appeared to me. So the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in sacred scripture, calls himself the last apostle. The last one to physically see Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And so that gives us a helpful grid. Gives us a helpful grid for discernment. And here's what I mean by that. That automatically means, brothers and sisters, that anyone after the Apostle Paul who claims to be an apostle in that narrow office authoritative sense is deceived. They are deceived. And so we have the word of God. We have the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul told us he was the last one. Therefore, when somebody introduces themselves to you as, hey, I'm Apostle Bill or, hey, I'm Apostle Juanita, you say, well, hey, that's a funny thing because Paul said he was the last one. And that was about 2000 years ago. And last I checked, no one after him has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. You're not eyewitnesses in the same way that they were. To Jesus. This is an office that is closed. It is unique in this period of church history. This is a foundation period. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 calls it. That the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And that's a really helpful thing for us to remember. That as we read the book of Acts. We're in the middle of this unique period of church history, that apostolic period, that foundation laying period. It's going to help us tremendously as we read the book of Acts. So let me give you a grid to think through this. This is coming straight out of Jude, verse 3. What's happening during this period? 
And using this language to show the uniqueness of what's happening during this period. The apostles are delivering the faith. Listen closely. Once for all to the church of Jesus Christ. Once for all. That's the phrase that I want to stick out to you. That there are some things in the word of God that are once for all. They're not repeated. They're once for all. Okay. And that's going to happen several times over in the book of Acts. There are some things in this book that belong to the once for all delivery of the faith, the gospel to the church. And if we want to read the word of God accurately and understand the mind of God rightly, then we need this grid. We need that grid as we come through the book of Acts of Lord, show me what's continual and show me what's once for all. What is unique to this foundation laying period of the church of Jesus Christ This is really important. Okay, that there is a unique apostolic witness that is happening over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And that apostolic witness is being accompanied by unique, tremendous spiritual power, miraculous spiritual power. Okay, over and over and over again, through the hands of the apostles, through the mouth of the apostles, we see the gospel being accompanied by miraculous, unique spiritual power. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that none of that stuff continues? No, you're, you're, you're hearing me wrong. Okay. I'm saying that the word of God tells us that some things are once for all. And we better read the word of God rightly to know what belongs to that period and what continues. I'll give you just a small example of this. Okay. That we can, we can way too quickly, if we don't have this grid, way too quickly we can read ourselves into th- these scenarios and these stories in the book of Acts where we don't belong. Okay, This is a once for all period that we step back from and worship the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ for delivering the faith once for all for the church. Just one example. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given in a spiritual downpour. Third person on the Trinity, Trinity of the Trinity is distributed to all the people of God. Does that continue? You better believe it. You better believe it. This is a blood-bought birthright gift to every child of the new covenant. We have the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. Pentecost still affects today. But listen. There's some things in there that don't continue. I'll give you one. When the spirit is given in that downpour, the word of God tells us that flames of fire are sitting over the heads of the apostles as they're preaching Jesus Christ. Flames of fire, tongues of fire are resting upon them that men are speaking and there's fire sitting over their head. Now, we have to make a decision as a local church. Every Sunday when we gather together, are we less than a New Testament church if there's not fire over my head right now? Is that something that continues or is that part of the once for all apostolic ministry of the Holy Spirit? The once for all delivering of the of the faith to the church. And I think that's that's just one example that's really clear that never even happens again in the New Testament. That never even happens again in in the entire word of God, not even with the apostles. And so there's uniqueness that we're going to see over and over and over again. And we don't need to be too quick to read ourselves into these stories. There can be some serious errors. Okay, serious errors. So we need to ask God to help us to know what continues and what is once for all. That was a side trail longer than I thought it would take. So let's bring it back post-resurrection ministry, zoning in on these apostles, these authoritative eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that he was teaching them some things. So he's showing up and it's not just like, whoa, he's here. He's saying some stuff. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God.
And if you turn with me, I'm going to ask you to turn with me back to Luke 24 at the end of Luke's gospel. We get just a little sample of the types of things that Jesus is teaching these men. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So he's showing up in this 40 day period and he's teaching them how to interpret the Bible. He's teaching them about all this stuff in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying that's about me. Okay, this death and this resurrection that you are witnessing as, as Jesus is appearing to these apostles, he's telling them this had to be fulfilled. These things were written. Okay, and he's drawing their attention to the certainty of what had to happen in his death and in his resurrection. It had to be accomplished because it was written. It had to be fulfilled because this was God's plan. This was God's plan. And so at this point, I want us to launch really high up as a local church. And I want us to get as high as we possibly can in our view, in our understanding of what's happening in the book of Acts. Hey, let's take it further than that. What's happening in the entire word of God? Let's take it even further than that. Let's 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 talk about what's happening more than anything else in all of history. Okay. Can we can we get can we get that sharp? Can we get that sharp this morning that there is something for which everything else exists? Okay? And that's where we're going this morning. Jesus is teaching these men that these things had to happen to him. And they had to happen to him because God had a plan. The God of the Bible had a plan, okay? When Jesus was crucified, it wasn't it wasn't God making the best out of a bad situation of, oh, yeah, I can use this. OK, this is God's plan from the very beginning. Theologians have called that Trinitarian plan that hangs over the entire Bible. They called it the plan of redemption, the plan of redemption, that there's this agreement between father, son and Holy Spirit that they're going to do something together. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 calls this plan the eternal purpose of God. So you think about that. So and so, what's your purpose in life? Answer to the question. Ephesians 3 tells us that God has a purpose. A purpose from eternity. The eternal purpose of God. And the God of the Bible shows over and over and over again that he is totally committed to this plan. He is totally committed to his purpose that he would accomplish. How committed? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 tells us that the God of the Bible works all things in accordance to fulfilling this purpose, this plan, this counsel of his will. So God has a plan. God has a purpose. He's totally committed to fulfilling it. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's bending all of history to accomplish this plan. What is the plan? What is the plan of God? What is the thing for which everything else exists? And there are a couple of places in the Bible where we get a snapshot of not only that God has a plan, but what the plan actually is. And possibly the best description of this is found in Romans chapter 9, verse 23. Listen closely. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. We are told that God has a plan to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. 
So think about that. From all of eternity to all of eternity, this has always been the plan of God. I'm going to show my glory specifically to vessels of mercy. I'm going to show my glory to vessels of mercy. Walk in that same plan back into Ephesians 1. God has a plan to be praised for the glory of his grace. Listen, that's why everything else exists. That's why all of creation exists is to show the glory of the grace of God. God's showing his glory to these vessels of mercy. We're talking about salvation from sin. We're talking about God manifesting his character as the redeemer of sinners being praised eternally for the glory of his grace. All of the universe exists to accomplish this plan. Do you understand that space and time exists for that plan? Not the other way around. Not that God. Yeah, I can use space and time. Not not God saying, yeah, I can use the universe. It's backwards. The universe, space, time, humanity, and every human being serve the purposes of accomplishing this eternal purpose of God. God's plan of redemption. And in Luke 24, Jesus is teaching his apostles, this had to happen. Okay? This wasn't just a bump in the road. I had to die for sin. It was written. It was prophesied. It had to be fulfilled. And furthermore, I had to rise from the dead. So he's teaching them how to how to interpret the entire Bible. Nothing else could happen but what happened. This was the eternal purpose of God. But I want us to look closer at Luke 24 and let's pick up where we left off in verse 47. Jesus is not done teaching them about the eternal purpose and how to read their Bibles. Verse 47 says this, and Please make note of that word. That's a really important word. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So. I want us to see some broad things that Jesus is teaching these apostles in Luke 24. Okay. And I want to give you two categories. There's two different things. And I want to give you two categories to use to help you think about this. And the two categories are this. Redemption accomplished and redemption applied. That's the two categories. Redemption accomplished and redemption applied. And Jesus is teaching his apostles that it must be fulfilled that Jesus die and rise. That's a, that is redemption accomplished. That Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that when he died for sin and when he rose from the dead, he really did finish a work. He really did finish a work. He accomplished the work of redemption. But look at that word and and that's in the middle of a sentence of Jesus teaching his apostles about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So listen closely. According to Jesus, it is written not only that the Messiah would die. It is written not only that the Messiah was would rise, but it is also written that this glorious work would be proclaimed among the nations. Salvation in Jesus. Forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. And another way to think about that. Redemption not only will be accomplished. It will also be applied. Jesus is teaching his apostles. About the absolute certainty. Of the fulfillment of the great commission. It must be fulfilled. Why? Because it's written. Because it's written. This is the eternal plan of God. There is no chance that it will fail. It is written. It is written. So think about this. The death of Jesus is sufficient to accomplish the work of redemption. 
But by in and of itself and by itself, it does not bring about and fulfill the eternal purpose of God. That death has to be announced. It has to be received. It has to be preached among the nations. That glorious work that Jesus has done, it has to be applied. And Jesus is teaching us that the application of the work of Christ is just as certain as the death of Christ. It must be and it will be proclaimed to all the nations of the world. It is essential in accomplishing God's eternal purpose. History exists to bring about the fulfillment of this plan. So we have these apostles. Okay, and I want you to imagine sitting, sitting there. Okay, and, and we learning to read the Bible just like they're learning to read the Bible. And this is a beautiful glimpse into the mind of Christ. Into the plan of God that he is teaching these men that the fulfillment of the Great Commission is just as settled and just as certain as the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no difference in the certainty. They are both prophesied. They are both parts of the fulfillment of the eternal plan of God. And so these men are hearing about a commission that cannot, will not, must not fail. It will not fail. Salvation must be proclaimed in Jesus' name to the nations. So I want us to think about that. It cannot fail just like the resurrection of Christ cannot fail. It is just as certain as the death of the Messiah. And what that means is that this mission that Jesus is about to send these men on and his church into is absolutely unstoppable. It is absolutely unstoppable. And from the highest place, now we're ready to drop down into the book of Acts because the book of Acts shows us the fulfillment of this unstoppable mission of the triune God. It is absolutely unstoppable. Nothing can stop this God from accomplishing His purpose. Luke 24 is telling us that a universal, all nations proclamation of Jesus is absolutely certain. So think about this. This is encouraging to a local church like us. Absolutely empowering. When we think about this, humans and Satan are just as able and just as likely to stop the fulfillment of the Great Commission as humans and Satan are likely and able to stop the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Redemption has been accomplished and it will be applied. It is absolutely unstoppable. I'll give you another way to think about this same thing. Why does it have to be unstoppable? Because God did not only ordain Jesus to bleed and die. God will not waste the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood will not fall to the ground wasted. The blood of the God man. The blood of the sinless one. It will certainly accomplish its intended purpose. Redemption applied is absolutely certain. Why? Because the blood of Christ will not be wasted. It will be applied to a believing remnant of all the nations. The blood of Christ will not be wasted. And in order for it not to be wasted, this mission must be absolutely certain and completely unstoppable. Absolutely certain and completely unstoppable. So now, let's think for a minute. Eternal purpose of God. You got, you got two ways to read Acts. God takes His eternal purpose that all of history exists for. And here's one way to read Acts. He, he puts it into the hands of men and says, It's up to y'all. Y'all finish this plan. Good luck. No plan B. Is that how we read the book of Acts? In other words, does the... Certainty and the unstoppableness of this plan 
depend on men. Even holy men. Even powerful men. Even apostolic men. Or is there another way to read the book of Acts? And this is the gaze forward that Luke gives us in Acts chapter 1. Not only are we to look back, he points us to look forward. And we find in this forward gaze that God is leaving nothing up to chance. He is not putting this in the hands of men. God is leaving nothing to chance in the hands of weak men and women. Listen to verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's the second way to read Acts. First way is this in our hands. It's all up to us. But Jesus says this. Y'all are about to, to, to mess everything up. Okay? So wait. Wait just a second. Y'all are about to derail everything. So wait. Wait. Y'all are not ready to do this. There's too much riding on this. I'm not willing to put this in your hands. Wait just a second. I'm sending the promise of the Father. And here comes the third person of the Trinity. And what's he doing? He's sealing the work of redemption. He is guaranteeing in the book of Acts. He is guaranteeing that the blood of Jesus Christ will not be wasted. It will not fall to the ground. He's going to empower this mission. He's going to ensure its success. He's going to ensure its fulfillment. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Just as necessary in accomplishing and applying the, the work of redemption as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the book of Acts in a, in a, in a very real sense is a picture and a reminder to all of us that God is finishing his mission. God is finishing his mission through his Holy Spirit as he works in his church. But God is finishing his mission. And this mission is absolutely unstoppable. Luke chapter 24 tells us that this gift of the Holy Spirit is going to be equivalent with the church being clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus looks at these weak men and women and he says, no, 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 no. Too much riding on this. This one can't fail, won't fail, never will fail. I will clothe you with power from on high. And God himself sees to the fulfillment and the empowerment of his mission. And I wonder today if that strikes you as strange. That the Holy Spirit of God, the gift of the Spirit, is just as necessary in bringing us to Jesus as the resurrection itself. I wonder if that seems like a strange thing to you this morning. And our prayer as Grace Community Church, may we repent in dust and ashes if, if, if these things find us and expose us thinking little of the Holy Spirit downplaying this glorious reality that the triune God lives in us. He indwells us. We are clothed with power from on high. Woe to us if we make light of that. Woe to us. Just as necessary as the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, before this spirit can be given in Acts chapter 2, Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1. And he's taken up to his throne in heaven. And he ascends to the throne at the right hand of the Father as God's Messiah, the Lord, the King, the ruler of the universe. Given the name that is above every name. And all authority in heaven and on earth. And we're going to spend the rest of our time today gazing at him in that place of enthronement. That place of authority. Because over and over again, this is what we see Jesus doing in the book of Acts. 
He continues His work. So consider this. In, in, uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Consider that Luke told us in his first volume that he wrote to us about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that's a strange thing to say because think of what he didn't say. He said in the first one, he didn't say this. In the first book, I taught you about everything that Jesus didn't talk. He didn't say that. That's the way that you talk about a dead leader. Well, let me tell you about everything they didn't teach. But here's how you talk about a living Lord, a resurrected one, one who sits at the right hand of the father. First book was about all that he began to do and teach. And the implication is the second book is what? All that he continues to do and teach. And this enthronement, this, this living Jesus, he is continually acting in his church. And so the book of Acts, you know, and a lot of people have commented on this, that, that, that really a better title to this book of, yes, it is the Acts of the Apostles. But that's not an inspired title. And possibly a better title to this book is the Acts of the Risen Lord. Because as we see the gospel advancing over and over again in this book, Jesus is doing that. The risen Christ is at work in his church. He has ascended to heaven, but he is present by his Holy Spirit in the hearts of his disciples. He did ascend in a human body to the right hand of God. But he, in a sense, he immediately spiritually returned in the presence of the Holy Spirit. His spirit. The spirit of Christ. The spirit of Jesus. That's who dwells in us. Always has. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with his church. And he's accomplishing his Mission. And the book of Acts is evidence that he is on his throne, that Christ is on his throne in heaven. And one of the ways that we see that in the book of Acts is the unstoppable spread of the gospel. So think about think about what we're about to to give attention to over the next months. Okay, Persecution comes. Can't stop the gospel. Death threats come. We are going to kill you. Can't stop the gospel. What about schisms in the church of so-and-so is not getting fed and so-and-so, you know, is getting ignored. Can't stop the gospel. What about sin in the church? Somebody's lying to the Holy Spirit. Gospel goes forward. Persecution can't stop it. Satan and demons can't stop it. The gospel spreads in persecution and it spreads in time of prosperity. Listen, even as we get to the end of the book of Acts, a, a, a shipwreck on, on, on you know, a, a, a ship getting torn to pieces by a storm can't stop the spread of the gospel. Throwing an apostle in prison and putting him on house arrest cannot stop the gospel. And what's our takeaway from that? What does that show us? Of the unstoppable spread of the message of salvation. It shows us that Jesus is reigning. Jesus is on his throne. Jesus is exerting his power through his spirit in his church. We see this over and over and over again. And once we get this exalted view of the book of Acts, it becomes a book of worship. That we're worshiping Christ over and over and over again. We get a glimpse of King Jesus on his throne and how he exercises his royal authority. And then we're encouraged in the present day because we remember that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's still on his throne. And the spread of his gospel is still just as unstoppable, just as certain. Why? Because this is rotting on the triune God, on the resurrected Christ and the poured out Holy Spirit. So no wonder over and over we see phrases like this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. The word of God increased and multiplied. Word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 19 verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I wonder if that's an encouragement to anybody here today. That that's, that's, when we talk about the nature of things, 
That is the nature of our gospel. In its very nature, it is the power of God unto salvation. What does it do? What does that gospel do? It multiplies. It prevails mightily. Why? Because it's being energized by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we need to be encouraged today that nothing can stop the advance of this gospel. It still is that powerful. Still is that powerful. Here's another glimpse of seeing Jesus in the book of Acts. Every time we see the word Lord in the book of Acts. That's Jesus. This is him. This is how he. This is his name and his title in the book of Acts. God made him Lord in Christ. And that's a game changer, right? Because the skeptical, unbelieving world says Jesus is dead and his body's in the ground. But the book of Acts tells us, no, no, no. The Lord is still at work in his church. The Lord Jesus is. Is still at work in his church. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 2. Is this mission in the hands of men? Or in the hands of the resurrected Lord? Acts chapter 2 verse 47. It is the Lord. Who is adding to his church. Day by day. Those who are being saved. Are are men doing that? Is, Is the mission in the hands of men and women? Or is Jesus empowering this mission? This is Jesus' mission. Way more than it's the church's mission. This is His mission. He is adding to the church day by day those who are being saved. He is the risen and the reigning Lord. Consider this in Acts chapter 4. This Lord, the Lord Jesus, he hears about these threats and this persecution that's being lobbed at his church. And, and he hears these, 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 this murder plot. If you don't stop preaching, we will kill you. Jesus hears that. The church gathers together and asks, asks Jesus to do something about that. And the Lord Jesus, you know what he does? In response to that persecution, in response to his church crying out, the Lord Jesus starts shaking the building back and forth that they were praying. The place in which they were praying was shaken. Is the mission in the hands of men or is it in the hands of the resurrected Lord? This is the message of the book of Acts. He hears their prayer and he sends them out with real spirit empowered boldness to preach the gospel. This is what we see him doing over and over and over again. This mission is being driven by the power and the authority and the presence of Jesus, of King Jesus. And we want to give him the glory that is due his name. We want to see him. We want to worship him. And I want to remind us as we close today of how much power when we say he has all power. And in the book of Acts, when we say that he uses it, how much power are we talking about? I'm giving you just a little glimpse as we finish up this morning. Every time he sits at the right hand of God, he sits on the throne of heaven. He reigns over all that he has made. And as the king of all, as the king of glory, every time he lifts his royal scepter, every time he exercises His authority, nothing can stop him. Even this, he is able to lift that royal scepter and make a decree and blind human hearts are healed. Dead, unregenerate human hearts are given life. That's how much power and how much authority King Jesus has. And this is exactly what we see happen in the book of Acts. It happened to a lady named Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14 says this, the Lord, that's Jesus, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's authority is a risen and resurrected king that is able to tear open a human heart. He is able to tear open a human heart to the end that they pay attention to the gospel. 
This is the same authority and the same power that we see Jesus exercising in Luke 24. We were just here. Luke 24, verse 45. He, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's authority. Tear open a human mind and shove the gospel down in there. And they don't get it before. They're blind to it before. But when he does this work of authority and power, they see glory. They are beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and the blind are now seeing clearly. This is how much power. This is how much authority he has as he reigns at the right hand of God. And this is the message of Acts. The encouragement for us. I want us to walk out of this place today with a real spiritual reminder my God reigns. The Jesus that died for my sins, He reigns. He really does have all authority in heaven and on earth. And He's with me. He is not far away from me. He is present in power. He reigns. Nothing can stop Him. Man, I want us to be encouraged by that. Freshly reminded the power of Christ and the presence of Christ my favorite example of this in the book of Acts, when we talk about Jesus' ability to get anyone's attention, anytime, any place, anywhere, this king can get your attention. And my favorite example of this in, in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 9, where in an instantaneous moment, this, this royal reigning, gracious saving king, in a millisecond, Turns a murderer into the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. Beautiful authority. Using it for our good and for his glory. And how did he do it? How did he do it in Acts chapter 9? Acts 9 tells us that Saul was walking a, a, a dirt road to Damascus. At midday in the Middle East. At midday in the Middle East. And I want you to just imagine that, that you are midday in the Middle East, in the middle of nowhere. If you were to look up and, and set your gaze on a noonday Middle Eastern sun, what would happen to your eyes? It would damage them. Don't recommend it. Okay. And you couldn't do it. You couldn't force yourself to do it. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus... <laughs> When he is ready to get someone's attention, nothing can stop him. Acts chapter 9 tells us that when he draws near and he reveals himself to, to Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, it tells us that he just gives just a little glimpse, just a little glimpse of his glory. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, King Jesus, is radiating brightness that is brighter than the noonday sun in the Middle East. This is a glorious king. Was he able to get Saul's attention? The man hated Jesus. He's breathing murder and threats against the church of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in power. And he blinds the man with his glory. Saul, he cannot see. He can't see anything. Because he just caught just a little glimpse of the radiance. The brilliant beauty of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, do you think he had every ounce of Saul's attention when he heard these words? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is his authority. This is, this is his authority and his ability to get anyone's attention. As this gospel goes out, anyone, anywhere, anytime. He, he lifts the royal scepter and he opens human hearts to pay attention to this glorious message about Jesus Christ. And it has to be that way because this mission cannot fail. This mission absolutely cannot fail. Brothers and sisters, this is my close today. This mission belongs to Jesus more than it belongs to us. And here's what I mean. When we understand that rightly, we don't pull back from zeal for evangelism and a desire 
to give our life to the Word of God and the souls of men. No, no, no. When we see this rightly, that, that more than this is sitting on me, this is His mission more than it's our mission. It empowers us. It empowers us. It motivates us. It encourages us. You mean we get to go with Him? You mean we get to join Christ in His work to glorify His name among the nations? It's His mission more than it's ours. And that means that we are not alone. We are not alone. Christ has not left any Christian in this room. He has not left us alone. And if you feel alone today, my encouragement to you is that you would meditate on and remember this promise of the Father. The third person of the Trinity dwells in you. Because of what Jesus has done for you. He has poured out the triune God. We have God. You have God. So if you feel alone, my prayer is that you would meditate on these promises. And that God would lift your face and that He would remind you that He is with you. And not empty handed. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the one who is with us always. Even to the end of the age. He is with us. This day and every day. And that's an encouragement to us. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be with Jesus. He's with us always. Every single day. To the end of the age. He has not left us to struggle in our own resources. If you feel weak, Jesus knows that you are weak. This is why He gave you empowerment through the Holy Spirit. He knows that about you. He knows that about me. This is why we have the Spirit of God. An endowment of the third person of the Trinity clothed with power from on high. And my prayer is that God would encourage you with that today. That you have access in Jesus Christ to power from on high. Let's pray together. Lord, we worship you this day. And God, even even the fact that we call on your name and that we worship you. Evidence is, Lord, that you still reign in this world. You still turn the hearts of men and women to you. And we ask you to do that in this local church. Continue to show your authority and your power and to glorify your grace in our midst in the salvation of sinners. Lord, give us a massive view of Christ today and encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.